If we can all start to just own, this is the age I am. I am proud of that. I worked really hard to get here. And we start to verbalize that more and more Then we're helping people reframe. And I think it can be as simple as that for first steps. Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I speak with changemakers from all over the world who are contributing to the common good. Contributing to the common good in even the smallest of ways is proven to help us age with vitality and deep contentment. I'm your host, Nicole Christina, psychotherapist and fellow Zestful Ager. My goal is to share optimism about aging and introduce you to guests who will inspire you to live with zest. To find out more about the podcast, hop on over to ZestfulAging.com. And while you're there, sign up for my weekly email newsletter, The Insider, where you will get behind the scenes looks at our guests and other fun tidbits. And if you love the podcast, I'd be grateful if you shared it with your friends. Our music is courtesy of Judy Banker, a previous guest. Find out more at JudyBanker.com. And our technical director is Stephen Litweiler. Well, have you ever made a little joke about being old? Something seemingly harmless, something like, I'm too old to wear that, or I'm over the hill. Or as one of my tennis buddies says, I'm too old to get that shot. Our guest today is a gerontology researcher who who investigates the real costs, emotional, physical, societal, of our widespread and unchecked discrimination of being old. And of course, the irony here is that the discrimination is really about us or our future selves. So where does this ageism come from and who benefits? And why is it so important to dismantle this? Tracy Gendron is the author of the brand new book, Ageism Unmasked, and I guarantee you her insights will have a profound effect on how you see aging. Welcome to the show, Tracy. Thank you, Nicole. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, me too. I think we're going to have a very an energetic conversation. A because... zestful conversation. <laughs> yes. yes, very zestful. And, you know, one thing that really came through in your book, although it's based on a lot of research or academic work, boy, your fire and your passion about this subject really comes through. I am so glad because you are right. I am on fire about this. It's it's the kind of thing that once you see it, really see it for the first time, you start to see it everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, I kind of re- equate it to, you know, when you're choosing what car you want to buy mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden you start to see that car, mm-hmm. that model everywhere. Ageism is kind of like that. You're like, how did I never notice this how before? I, how did I miss this? How? And when did you first have your eyes open, so to speak, that something was going on under the radar that nobody was talking about? 
Yeah, my first aha moment was really interesting because I, I've been a gerontologist for 25 years, which means that, you know, I have been dedicated to this field. I have been dedicated to getting the knowledge that I wanted to about biological aging and social aging and psychological aging. And it really wasn't until about 10-ish years ago that I had this epiphany. I had this moment when somebody would ask me why I wanted to be a gerontologist and I I would say because I wanted to work with the aging population. And then all of a sudden I was like one day thinking, why is it when I talk about the aging population, I'm talking about other people. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about older people. When I am the aging, others. yes, mm-hmm. we are all aging. Why do I disassociate myself from someone being in that process? And that's when it hit me fully for the first time, how deeply embedded and invisible ageism is throughout society and and through, you know, within ourselves. And that kind of lit the fire and set me on a course to not only wanting to understand it, but then trying to figure out how to raise awareness of it and disrupt it and how Mm -hmm. we can really change the way we see it. Well, you'll have to forgive me, Tracy. You know, I'm a psychotherapist. I just want to go back to that aha moment. Was that Um, Well, let me ask it this way. What was it like for you to realize that you had been in the field really dedicated to this work and you had a blind spot? Yeah, it it was actually, I think, more motivating than anything else. Mm -hmm. Um, I really took it as my personal call to action. And there's always room for growth in any discipline, in any field, in any school of thought. And the ironic part is that gerontology as a discipline is relatively young. It hasn't been around that long, Mm -hmm. um, 40, 50 years, really. So 50 years. So for me, it was like, this is the next step in the evolution of the discipline itself as well. And that got me really excited. Uh Like, oh, there's so much work to be done here, both within, Mm -hmm. you know, my own scholarly discipline and outside, just, you know, to educate people that this is a a real thing and a real threat to our happiness. Were you someone who then after you had this aha moment about how aging is lurking, ageism is lurking everywhere? Were you talking to your colleagues and saying, Listen to this. Oh, yes. (laughs) One of the first people that I thank in the acknowledgments uh, at the end of the book is all of my colleagues in the Department of Gerontology, because our deep understanding of it is truly the culmination of years of work, of conversation, of reflection, of thought, of our group brain kind of processing all of this, because it's hard work Mm -hmm. digging down to these layers, seeing things that you haven't seen before. It's really hard, and it's not something you can do by yourself. So this actually became the mission of our whole department, was Mm -hmm. to take this on in research and understanding and to to pave the way. We call ourselves now... um, an academic department and a social movement all rolled into one because we wow. are all behind this. Wow. Boy, yeah. you you know, talk about finding meaning. Yes. And purpose. Yes. It's been profound. You know, it. you talk about uh, in the book the manipulation that goes on, uh, profit-motivated manipulation, um, so that there's a, uh, these... Um, narratives about boy no one wants to get old and we're going to help you avoid looking old and i wonder 
what it's like to be so aware uh, this idea that ignorance is bliss, right? I mean, we all kind of know we're manipulated. We all kind of know commercials are in our face all the time. But you really have such a clear view of how this manip- manipulation mm-hmm. happens. What, yeah. What's it like for you living in a world where you know people are being really hurt by these beliefs that are motivated by profit? Yeah, what a great question. And I think, you know, I I allude to it in the book that, you know, sometimes somebody will ask me the question, are you okay? Because I'm either red in the face or I'm throwing (laughs) down a magazine or I'm getting all hot because I'm just so angry. And it is that manipulation that really does get me quite angry. For me, I'm completely comfortable with it because it drives me. I will tell you when my children were smaller, it was quite embarrassing for them because me going down like the birthday (laughs) card aisle, so to speak, and like just us blowing a fit because it was Mm. like this is so egregiously ageist you know how is it that we do that was a little much for them but I think that translates into passion for me and I think you know the bottom line when it comes to the manipulation the, the thing that really bothers me the most is that people are profiting and industries are profiting off of shaming us. Mm. And this is both Mm. men and women, masculinity Mm -hmm. and femininity. You know, we are taught that in order to age successfully, we need to define success according to somebody else. Somebody else who tells us what we're supposed to look like, what we're supposed to feel like, what we're supposed to act like. Um, and, And that's the part that really fuels me and angers me the most is is that the shame messages that we get mm, for women mm. it's very often about you know hyper visibility what do you look like do you have wrinkles uh, what color is your hair are you going to get that that cosmetic or are you going to get that procedure for men it's often associated with virility and potency you see tons of advertisements for low testosterone as mm-hmm. if that is the marker of what it means to be masculine mm-hmm. or to be an older man and all of these are driven by making us feel shame so that to me is is the point in which the anger really starts to bubble up for me um, and yet it's also a point that we can all do something, which is reclaim our own power and create our own definition of success. So if the makeup makes you feel good, if dyeing your hair makes you feel good, if the procedure makes you feel good, go for it. As long as it's on your terms, as long as it's because you know that it's fulfilling something for you, That's not because you're That's a slippery slope, though, to say I'm going to have cosmetic surgery or plump my lines or whatever it's called. For me, I imagine that that might be something that's so deeply unconscious, you don't even know it's for you anymore. Agreed. Absolutely agreed. And I think that first step is kind of figuring out what's your source of motivation. Why Mm -hmm. is it that you're drawn to do this? Mm -hmm. Often we're afraid of other people judging us. Mm -hmm. So taking a look at that. But these are all doorways to walk through to first start to examine that level of ageism that, again, is very deeply embedded and invisible. As many of you know, I take my interviewing very seriously. My book, Not Just Chatting, How to Become a Master Podcast Interviewer, goes into details about how to get the most out of each interview. And now I'm going to be sharing my top 
tips on how to plan and execute the perfect interview as a guest speaker on the upcoming Grow My Podcast Summit. It's hosted by Deidre Shen, who also hosts the Grow My Podcast show. And I'm going to be joined virtually by 32 other inspiring experts in the podcasting space. It's happening on July 1st to July 3rd and tickets are free. So if you have a podcast that you're looking to grow, scale or monetize, then reserve your free seat at the link in our show notes. And I'm also going to put the link on zestfulaging.com in the products I love menu. I found particularly interesting in your book, you talk about that there's only sort of two narratives here. So as we age, you have two choices. You can become decrepit and senile. Nobody wants that. Mm -hmm. Or you could be a super ager, which is unattainable to, (laughs) I would say, most many of us. Um, Could you reflect on that a bit more? Absolutely. I think we, you know, we often use that that dichotomy. We create these binaries. It's like, you know, any binary, good or bad. Well, we have the the bad side of what we see of being older, and that is that decrepitude or senility or, you know, whatever feebleness that we might want to call it. That leads us into the slope of ableism, by the way. That directly mm. leads us to ableism. Mm-hmm. And then we have these images of bodybuilders and marathon runners and mm-hmm. people that, you know, climb Mount Everest, which is wonderful. That also leads us into ableism, but that we, we value much more over the people that we see as not having those levels of abilities. And what we're missing is the vast majority of people that are somewhere in the middle. Um, So it does create these kind of unrealistic expectations for aging. And the thing that, as you call a slippery slope, that that is a slippery slope here is that aging does include some level of physical decline, but it also includes growth. Aging is very complicated. It's a multi-directional, multi-dimensional experience. So we do have decline, we do have growth, we do have adaptation, we do have maintenance, and we have these things physically, psychologically, socially, spiritually. So you can experience both decline and growth at the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's kind of hard for some people to wrap their head around. But it's dangerous for us to, let's say, you know, feed into this narrative of successful aging as being a super ager when most of us are, are never going to be like that. <laughs> we're just most regular us, agers. We're regular agers, mm-hmm. regular people. And there is no one path to successful aging. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, again, what you define it. So there's a danger in the way that we create those binary models of aging. So once your eyes are open to this, how do you navigate the world? And when you you don't have to go too far, you know, that you're going to hear some subtle or not so subtle ageist commentary about um, someone talking about someone else or themselves or I'm too old for this or I can't remember and all of this. 
how can one approach this without making it a full-time job? <laughs> That's a great question, because it is my full-time job. I know. <laughs> As I was forming that thought, I, 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 that's occurred to me, yes. Yes, yes. So I think there's several things that we can do. Um, it starts off, as you said, by first just seeing it. And once you see it, then that kind of opens the door to gaining some uh, awareness, some conscious awareness of it. So because ageism is not just about older people, it is about all people. The mm -hmm. first thing that I like to say is step number one is identify yourself as someone that's aging, right? We're all aging. Think of yourself in terms of what are your goals? What is your purpose? What is your opportunity? What are the things that give you joy? Um, and think of that throughout your entire lifespan. I like to think of us all as elders in training or old hmm. people in training. Mm -hmm. So if we start to change the narrative from I'm afraid of what it means to be old to actually I can kind of start to look forward to what it means to be older, that's one, one step. One of the ways that we can do that is by thinking of a younger version of ourself and thinking about all of the ways that we have grown and all of the things that we like better about ourselves now than we did five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, mm -hmm. and recognizing that that is aging. That is all part of our aging. Mm -hmm. Why would we want to go backwards? And We've most people will say, I, you know, particularly now with the mental health crises and substance abuse, you know, I would never want to go back to high school. You'll hear people say that all the time. You exactly. know, I would never with the Internet, with the bullying, with all of this. Yet they're also saying I'm too old to be valuable. Exactly. So I think it's time that we reframe that and we challenge that and we say it was really hard to go through that. And I'm actually a lot more comfortable with who I am today. And I can embrace that. The second piece is that we are actually all role models for what it means to be of whatever age we are. So we can take power back by choosing to change the things we say, change the way we respond, um, and really then, you know, kind of pay it forward. So you can really just do simple things like start questioning yourself when you do say I'm too old for something, when you do use old with any kind of sense of judgment or young with any kind of sense of judgment to start to think about what is it that you really mean. And I like to use the example of young spirit because it's just it's an easy one to talk about. Mm -hmm. So we you say young spirit when we think somebody is what vibrant lively, mm -hmm. engaged, we don't actually mean young. So, but we use the term young because it's easily understood. We can think about that. So are we using young or old with a value judgment? Maybe we can then reframe that. If we can all start to just own, this is the age I am. I am proud of that. I worked really hard to get here. Mm -hmm. And we start to verbalize that more and more Then we're helping people reframe. And I think it can be as simple as that for first steps. Mm -hmm. I'm imagining that you have friends that are not gerontologists and who are not as aware of this um, as your academic friends. Do you kind of give them a pass if they say things that you know are ageist or how, you know, how much are you I hate to say correcting them, but bringing that to their awareness that, hey, you know, 
that's ageist, that's um, problematic? How, how do you kind of decide when to kind of go off the clock or yeah. um, just sort of let that go? I think this is the question. And I get this question a lot. And I, I process this question with people a lot. And I don't think there's one right answer. I think the honest answer is it depends. Mm -hmm. So me at this point in my life, I am going to say something. And if I don't, the people around me are looking at me saying, aren't you going to say something? <laughs> because it's, you know, it's me and this is my thing. So right. it doesn't mean that it has to be said, though, in an aggressive or adversarial way, mm -hmm. sometimes you can actually even offer the reframe. So if somebody says to me, you know, I haven't seen you in 20 years, um, you look great for your age, mm -hmm. or you haven't aged a bit, or whatever it may be, I can reframe it and say, I think what you're telling me is you telling me I look great, or I look healthy, mm -hmm. you know, thank you for that. But actually, I'm really proud of how much I've aged. So we can say it in a gentle way. And sometimes that's warranted. Sometimes we do need to say it in a little bit more of an aggressive way. And then sometimes it's not appropriate to say anything, especially if there's power dynamics involved. There have been plenty of times that it has not been the right moment. But that doesn't mean I can't grab somebody to have a conversation after mm -hmm. to say, hey, I didn't want to say this in front of everybody, but let's kind of talk about this. So there's all kinds of opportunities for disruption. And I think it changes as you yourself get more comfortable with the topic and you yourself get more comfortable with your own, um, your own aging, really your own place in the world with this. Mm hmm. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. When you say power dynamics, are you referring to you having the power or being in a place where others have power over you? It's generally in a place where someone else has the power or, for example, I was at a conference a couple of weeks ago um, and there was a session that I was in where the person who was presenting and that had the microphone said something that was ageist. That didn't feel as if it was the right time to stand up and raise your hand and challenge <laughs> that mm -hmm. person mm -hmm. because of the dynamics of the situation. Um, so, but again, that might be one that I might pull them aside and say something after. Mm -hmm. You know, it strikes me that this is um, th what you're studying and what you've learned and, and what you're sharing today could be really surprising for some of us, for those of uh, the audience listening, like, wait a minute, I do that. Wait a minute, my friends do that. I wonder how jarring it might be for people to recognize, you know, how ageist we really are, how we've taken this in without, it's like um, some some Star Trek episode, you know, where like you, one of those weird earwigs that go in your brain and you don't even realize yeah. your beliefs. I wonder how, how that is for like your students or your other associates that are like, wait, wow. Yes, every presentation that I give, I have people that say, I say those things. I have done those things. Mm -hmm. And I say, you can't do better until you know better and you didn't know better. So now that you see it, now that you know it, now is when you can change it. But there's no blame and no shame because it has been that invisible. So it can be really jarring. Um, and I think 
You know, one of the things that we haven't talked about yet that I think is really important to say is that people really need to identify their why. So it's great to be able to see this. It's great to be able to know there's a better way to say something. But why should it matter to you? I actually think is the first question that people need to ask themselves. Mm -hmm. Like, because this isn't just about being politically correct. It actually has nothing to do with that. I am not the language police. I don't, you know, go around saying you should say this instead of that. It's not about that. Actually, what it is about is your health and happiness. And that's where the real research comes in and the real science comes in, that this matters because we put ourselves at risk. We actually lose years of our life by holding fears of aging. The stress that we have on our body leads us to mental health issues, to physical health issues. It's bad for business. It's bad for the economy. It's bad for an equitable society. So I think first, lots of reasons why. Think about what your why is. And then you can start to think about, "Uh uh-oh, I do say those things and I do do those things. And then I would say, okay, so you did. And now what? What is your point of action? What are you going to start doing? What are you going to stop doing? You know, to start to really break down those behaviors. Could you flesh that out a little bit more? And it, it, it um, I talked about that a little bit in the introduction, but that having these ageist beliefs really causes profound problems. It's not just... Um, unfortunate, but but it has real implications. Could you talk a little bit more about what the implications are? Absolutely. There's a wealth of research out there that shows that the stress that we hold about fearing our own aging, disassociating with our own aging, can lead us to some of the things that we actually fear the most, like having an increased risk for biomarkers for Alzheimer's disease, or having memory problems, or it could lead to depression, it could lead to isolation. It can keep us from taking good care of ourselves, because then we don't either participate in healthy behaviors or seek out health care when we need it. Um, And it increases the risk of some chronic diseases. And if that's not enough, there's a seminal study done by Becca Levy, who I know that you are going to talk to in the coming weeks. I am. And she will tell you more about this. But her own research 20 years ago showed that there's a seven and a half year um, differential in life expectancy for people that have embraced their aging versus those that fear their aging. So the science is real. And the science is out there that this is actually quite costly to us in many different ways. And Ashton Applewhite talks about this too, that the reality is most of us will not experience some of these sort of gruesome um, ideas about what happens as we age. Um, Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And you know, the the rates for Alzheimer's are a great example of that. Um, For over 65, it's about one in nine people that has Alzheimer's disease. But if we flip that, and I say out of people 65, eight in nine people do not (laughs) have Uh Alzheimer's disease. It makes a big difference in the way that you hear it and the way Uh that you see it. Uh What are your thoughts about our culture being not very good at talking about death and how that might relate to not wanting to age. Oh, I think they're very interrelated. Yeah, we have not only we're not good at talking about death, I think we truly have pathologized Mm. what it means to die. 
Um, you know, and, and I had also that kind of aha moment that I wrote about in the book when I was standing in a grocery store and waiting to check out. And I saw a magazine at the time, I think Betty White was like 96. And it said, Betty White giving up on life at 96. And I had this moment of going, oh, my gosh, we see death as a failure. That's crazy. And of course, that's going to, you know, spill over into fear of aging as well. So not talking about good aging, not talking about a good death definitely keeps us trapped into all of these fears. So I, I, I do think that they are connected. And I do think that that underlies ageism. Mm. Do you see it um, in different cultures going differently that might be more uh, that death is more of a natural process? Um, do, I yes. don't know if you, yeah, you do. What I'm, I'm curious to hear more about that. So I think at this point in my, I'm familiar with more of the, the cross-cultural research on ageism. Um, and ageism at this point is pretty pan-cultural. You're pretty mm -hmm. much seeing it everywhere mm -hmm. in every country, um, in lots of different cultures. However, I will say that there are some, and the ones that I know about specifically is Japanese, Thai, and South Korean cultures um, do have more embedded celebrations of aging mm -hmm. um, and therefore I would imagine have maybe a different relationship with death as well where they have specific milestones when somebody turns 60 and then some of them every 12 years after that they acknowledge almost leveling up you know and next stage of growth and development um, and here in the Western culture we don't have markers and milestones other than retirement which mm -hmm. is a whole other conversation. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I wonder about cultures that believe or religions that believe in reincarnation, if there's less fear of aging. Yeah, it, it could be if you feel as if, you know, your soul doesn't die mm -hmm. um, and you come back. It absolutely could be. And there's one Botswanan um, culture that I that I had talked about in the book that really captures the essence of the complexity of aging by having this concept that says in order to basically reach our spiritual potential, we have to experience physical decline. So, you know, they see this as something that's actually healthy and normative, and that leading towards death gives us the opportunity to reach more of that spiritual potential. So, yeah, there are models out there. Mm -hmm. You know, the good news might be at least in, in my wor world here in Zestful Aging, um, I've spoken to several people who are involved in doing more conscious dying work um, and also introducing different uh, um, options for uh, burial and challenging mm -hmm. the, um, the funeral industry and saying there's better ways to do this. And I wonder if you know, if those become more uh, universal, whether that might have also an effect on on the fear of aging that it, it, it's just more talked about perhaps and, and um, yeah. Yeah, I would bet. 
I would I would bet mm. that yes, they do go hand in hand. And I know I've heard a lot more recently about death doulas, mm-hmm. um, you know, and people that are really going into the field to help us make those transitions to make it a more normative and positive uh, and supported experience mm-hmm. for everyone. So mm-hmm. yeah, again, imagine if that wasn't a fear that we held around and we could disconnect that from the experience of aging um, and seeing aging as the process of development and growth mm-hmm. and eth- death as the culmination of our life's journey. Um, mm-hmm. I do think we would see positive movement in both of these. Even with the death doulas, a lot of what they're about are offering choices. Do you want to be in the forest? Do you want music? Do you want a green burial? Do you want, you know, your pets there? And even doing the five wishes, I found um, strangely liberating. Like, okay, this is going to happen. I'd like to have a say in it. And it did kind of bring a different feel to the whole experience same my husband and i did the five wishes a couple years ago and yes it was actually quite freeing Mm -hmm. as you said it actually felt good to think through some of these things and to communicate it to each other it was hard to describe the actual you know i was i was a little bit reluctant i thought who wants to do this but then i thought wait a minute there's some really good options here exactly (laughs) exactly and wouldn't you rather know Mm -hmm. you know i would much rather have somebody know what it is that i'm thinking Mm -hmm. than to be afraid to talk about it so yeah that was surprisingly cathartic i agree Mm -hmm. with you yeah yeah It's, it's it's a lovely thing and for our listeners five wishes is a um it's basically it's you put down a narrative form right what you'd like um uh after you die and what kind of ceremony if any what kind of service how you'd like your body to be um treated who you would like there who maybe you wouldn't like there um there was one i really liked do you want music at your service Mm -hmm. do you want your pets and and all of those and it really got the wheels turning yeah so is there anything else, Tracy, you'd like to add? Oh, um, there's a million things I would want to <laughs> add. We could keep talking for Volume days. Volume two, three, four, five. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Lots yeah. of things. Is well, there anything I didn't ask that you want to make sure um, you say? Um, I, you know, I think no. I think you asked some really wonderful questions. And I'll just I'll wrap it up by saying I hope that from listening to this, people feel empowered, because that really is my goal, is that, you know, I can make you aware, like look around you and then say, you know what, now you can choose for yourself, you can choose what you want to buy into and what you don't. Mm-hmm. And I mean that in all senses. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and give people the opportunity to reframe how they think about their own aging as something that we can all look forward to, that's something that we can all continue to grow into, um, and how much power is in that. So if I empower just one person to say, I'm going to think differently about my aging, then that makes me very happy. You know, it, it also as a therapist, I think, boy, you know, we only have so much brain space. And aren't there 
more interesting things to think about and to learn about and to be curious about rather than filling our brain with, oh my goodness, you know, I'm gonna, I'm older now and my ankle's kind of sore and what does that mean? I, I think it would be so much more lovely and productive to say, I'm gonna try to plan a new kind of perennial and see if I can make it grow. Exactly, I'm gonna think every day of what brings me joy, what my purpose is, what my goals are at all all ages and stages of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of power in that. Mm-hmm. Take, it's, it's like taking back your, your brain and taking back your belief system. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And getting rid of that stress, which we know is toxic for mm-hmm. our bodies and for mm-hmm. our minds. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's so powerful. Tracy, where can people find out more about your work and um, your book? So you can look me up on the internet at Mm -hmm. tracygendron.com. Also, if you just Google Tracy Gendron and VCU, you'll be able to find my work at Virginia Commonwealth University. And the book is available everywhere. You can look on the Penguin Random House site through Barnes Mm -hmm. & Noble, uh, Amazon, or what I like to encourage people the most is to visit your local independent Mm -hmm. bookstore because those are the best. Those are your people. Yeah, and Gendron with a G. Gendron with a G. R-O-N. Very yes. important. Wow. So fun to talk to you. And I really enjoyed your book. And I thought I was aware before, kind of had the antenna out. But now it, it's just, um, I feel much more, uh, I don't know, um, I hate to keep saying the word aware, but I just feel like a new level of consciousness about how this really is so pervasive and how it's really important to dismantle it. Oh, well, thank you for that. Because again, that's my goal. So Mm -hmm. I'm thrilled that you read it. I'm thrilled that you invited me on the show. And you keep on, you know, with the good work here, sharing all of these messages with your listeners. Thanks, Tracy. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share it with some of your friends. If you think decluttering could help you feel better and you could use a little assistance with that, check out the online course I've developed with professional organizer and designer Carrie Luteran. It's called Too Much Stuff. And Too Much Stuff is different from other courses or articles or guidance you may have used. We give you clear steps to deal with the clutter and the tools to help you face the overwhelming feelings and the emotions that come up when we're going through our clutter. And a lot of those emotions are just feeling anxious or guilty or just basically flooded with a lot of different confusing feelings. The course is really practical. It's realistic. The lessons are short and punchy, and they're really manageable. We're not trying to set you up for some long exploratory, you know, super in-depth, burdensome experience. We want something really helpful for you right now. We all need help with our anxiety. So, Being surrounded by more calm and less chaos can really help. So now's a good time to clear out the clutter so we can focus on what's really important in our lives. So find out more at zestfulaging.com. You'll see more about this under the web courses tab. If you have any questions, just shoot me an email at zestfulaging.com 
at gmail.com. Thanks so much. And stay tuned next week for another interview with a fascinating and inspiring guest.